Each step I take leads me closer home. Is that great? We're on our way home. It's good to be here again. Thank you for having us. And, uh, you know, you're such an encouraging fellowship of people here. So many told me that you were looking forward to today's message. And that was very encouraging to hear. And I trust that God will bless us as we continue this uh, very important subject, the subject of basics and particularly the practice of prayer. Uh, Two weeks ago, we considered uh, two questions. First, why should we pray at all? And we considered three reasons. First of all, because God simply asks us to pray. And in obedience to Him, and for our own good, we pray. Secondly, because it's a way to love our neighbor. When we have a concern for that person next door, or even across the world, and we pray, we demonstrate a love for that individual. And thirdly, we pray because God does hear and answer prayer. If we don't pray, the alternative is to faint and to be weak and to be ineffective. And so we pray because God hears and answers our prayer. The second question was, what if I don't feel like praying? And uh, I suggested that we ought to pray anyway because we're the big losers if we don't pray. We could uh, miss out on a joyful Christian life. We could fail to overcome temptation. And so, pray anyway, if you don't feel like praying. This morning, I'd like to cover a whole lot more ground. And for some background to our message, uh, would you turn, please, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. These are the words... Of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Jesus says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you that they have the reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation But deliver us from evil, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
several questions that I'd like to consider this morning. What kinds of things should I pray about? Can I really be truly honest with God? Do I have issues within me that I cannot hesitate to bring to His attention? What do I say when I pray? And what is defensive praying all about? So let's consider these uh, four questions at least, and, and if there are more, we'll, and if we have time, we'll consider them as well. What kinds of things should I pray about? Well, first of all, I'd like to say, whatever your needs, whatever your problems, pray about them. Whatever the pressures that weigh you down, bring them to our loving Heavenly Father. Now, having said that, I also need to remind us that selfishness is never pretty, even when we pray. It's easy for us to get caught up in our own needs, to be egocentric, and try to use God as a mail-order house. God, would you please uh, send me this? Would you please do this for me? Would you please do the other for me? You know, I've got my Christmas list, and would you please help me to get it on time? And the right things for the right people, and so on. Well, the Bible encourages us to make our needs known to God, but a prayer life that is limited only to personal, tangible needs is evidence that our Christian outlook does not understand our very deepest needs and God's greatest gifts. And I'd like to repeat that. A prayer life that is limited to personal, tangible needs is evidence that our Christian outlook does not understand our deepest needs and God's greatest gifts. Yes, pray for your personal needs, including the so-called mundane things, but don't forget to pray for the needer for the deeper needs. Well, what kinds of things should I pray about? What are the deeper needs? The prayers of the Bible give us good examples of what we ought to consider when praying. And I'd like to mention two things. There are more. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. And I'm not going to take time to read the context, but it would be well if you would read even the first uh, uh, several verses, beginning with verse 3, where Paul says that he prays always for the Colossians. But verse 9 says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The first thing that Paul prays for the Colossians is that they might be filled with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
This prayer asks God to help with a person, with a, with an individual's greatest need and problem. A person's deepest need. And that is the need to grasp and to understand what God's will is for me. When we pray, that our friends have insight into God's will, we do not mean that they will know exactly what to do in every personal decision that comes across their path. We pray for those that we care about that they will be caught up in the noble purposes of God. That's what we pray about. And God's will, incidentally, is not mysterious as we sometimes make it to be. There are numerous statements again and again and again about the, what the will of God is. Let me give you an example. First Thessalonians. And this is the will of God that you abstain from fornication. That's pretty clear. You don't have to pray about that. It's there and you know it. Just believe it and uh, obey it. This is the will of God. And we have verse after verse after verse just like that. Romans chapter 1, uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 talks about our proving what is the will of God, that good and perfect will. Proving it means that we already know what's there. We pray for those that we care about. The result of this kind of insight is living a life that is pleasing to God. Now, did you notice verse 10 in Colossians uh, chapter 1? Because there we have that purpose verse. In verse 9, we read that we should pray for the will of God so that. What is the reason for praying that? So that. That's purpose. That's reason why to pray. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. When we know what the will of God is, then we can walk in a way pleasing to Him. Whenever you see a so that in the Scriptures, that's purpose. What follows is purpose and the reason for the preceding verse. And so, I just want you to, to notice that as you read your Bibles. Secondly, pray for power to be able to cope with the problems and images that life throws at us. Life throws at us a whole lot of things. A whole range of things. And uh, we pray that we might be able to cope with that which comes into our life. And Colossians 1.11 says something interesting in that regard. And I want you to notice that. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfast and patience joyously. Wow. There's something to pray about. Something to pray about. Power to endure affliction is what Paul prays for. Do you ever pray for your friend, your neighbor, your family, 
that you might have the power to endure affliction? Now, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And I don't know whether you work in a situation where you may encounter some affliction. Pray about it. Pray for your friend with regard to the, their power to endure the affliction that might be thrown their way. You know, life sometimes does rub us the wrong way. And uh, we don't like it. And I certainly can understand that. But God's power helps us to bear up and to be patient joyously. Not just patient, oh boy, you know what I had to put up with the other day? Oh, that was... Can't believe it, how tough that was. Be able to bear up patiently, but joyously. Now that's... uh, a little step further. That's another notch. And uh, that's what the Scripture says. Endurance and patience are the outstanding results produced by God's power. Would you rather have a bigger paycheck or insight into God's will and plan for your life? That's a question. Would you rather have a a great big gift or power to endure and be patient with life's problems? What would you rather have? What kinds of things should I pray about? Insight into God's will and power so that we may do His will in every circumstance. Our prayers for each other are part of God's plan for getting His will done. Physical and financial needs are important. We should not forget them. But we don't want to forget these other things, which I think are on a higher level. We want to make sure that our priorities in prayer follow the priorities of God. What higher favor can we do for others than to lift their names before the throne of God and ask Him to catch them up in His plan? Wow. Wouldn't you like to be caught up in God's plan? And we can do that by praying for one another. Now, the second question I want to ask. Can I really be honest with God? And a corollary question is, suppose I just happen to disagree with God. Now, none of you have ever done that, right? We have a lot of examples of honesty in the Scripture. Particularly the book of Job, Psalms, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, and others. You know, one time Jeremiah had a basic disagreement with God over the way he was running the universe. And so he tells God about that. You want to read it? Jeremiah chapter 12. You know, suppose you uh, just plain disagree. You know, God, you're, you're, you're making a big mess out of the Middle East. And how come things aren't being resolved over there? You know, have you ever heard those kind of questions? Maybe you've entertained them even yourselves. But chapter 12, verse 1. And he starts out very nicely. Righteous are you. 
O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. You know, are you doing things right? I've discussed matters of justice with you. And here's a question that he's wondering about. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? Huh. Old Jeremiah having a conflict with God over how he's running the universe. You know, an equivalent question might be, Lord, I don't understand how you could allow such tyrants and cruel people to be heads of states in our world. How could you allow these people, I was going to use a different word, how can you allow these people to have it easy? And they're gross sinners. I don't know why you allow so much bloodshed to continue in so many parts of the world. Or why do you allow 800 babies to be aborted in California every single day? Why? What what happened to Jeremiah's prayer when he prayed this way? Did God change the way that he was uh, running the world? No. God continued his plan for the world. Well, what happened then? Jeremiah took his problem directly to God And though the circumstances didn't change, the internal pressure on Jeremiah was relieved. You know, fuming and fretting and fussing is not the answer to our deep difficulties. Whether it's confusion about God's will or resentment about the way God seems to be doing things. And you say, well, what's the answer? One word prayer. Frankly, openly, directly, honestly, telling God how we feel will help us live with our problems and Jeremiah lived with his. I want to give you another example, maybe a couple more. The book of Habakkuk. You know, that's that book in the Bible that you have trouble finding and you're sure somebody's torn it out of your Bible. But the book of Habakkuk, uh, if you want to turn to it, it's good. Uh, the first couple of verses, but first three verses, well, two and three. Uh, Habakkuk says that uh, he's, he calls violence. There's violence, Lord, in my life. There's violence all around me. And you don't answer me. And here's the problem of unanswered prayer. He calls violence. No answer. But you know, the beginning of the book of Habakkuk is good, but the end is even better. And I want you to look at chapter 3. If you've got that. Uh, now, if I can find Habakkuk, he'll be doing okay. Now, here it is. Verse 17. 
Something has taken place in Habakkuk's life. He no longer calls violence. As a matter of fact, notice the, what he does say. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive shall fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and He has made my feet like hinds' feet and made me walk on my high places. Wow, what a change. Violence to this. Honest prayer is actually an expression of our trust in God. Think of the people you know with whom you are willing to share your deepest secrets. They are people that you trust. Only those with whom we trust will we share our real selves. You know, including those deep, dark secrets that some of us may have. Including that disposition that we wish were different. We can share it with God because we trust Him with our lives. You know, God's ways may mystify us. We may not understand them. His words are sometimes hard to understand. And as we tell God our doubts and our misunderstandings, I'd like to suggest at least three things happen when we tell God these things. First of all, our problems take on a clearer perspective. We take the problems out of the dark corners of our minds, and sometimes we do have the dark corners up here, which if left there, will continue to infect us with resentment or self-pity. So we want to get those out of here and bring them up there so they no longer infect us and hurt us because these things unattended to uh, will corrode our very life. Secondly, our relationship with God and our sense of commitment are strengthened when we tell Him those things in our lives. As we are honest, we come to know God better and to love Him more. And third, honesty with God means we can pray in all circumstances. There is no circumstance concerning which we cannot pray. God wants to hear what we have to say. We don't have to guess what He wants to hear because He takes us just the way we are. He can accept our negative feelings as well as our praise. You know, one of the big differences between, uh, say, Job and Habakkuk and some of these scribes and Pharisees who complained and murmured all the time is the fact that uh, Job and Habakkuk prayed their problems to God. 
These other folks, all they did was whine and gripe and complain. That's all they did. Big difference. Pray your needs. Pray your concerns. Pray your doubts. And say, Lord, I just don't understand. Six years ago, our daughter was killed. Don't know why. Don't understand. Probably never understand down here. Don't know what God's purpose was. Lord, I don't know. Leave it there. Leave it there. What do we say when we pray? Quite a few years ago now, I had a young executive's Bible class. And as these men came to Christ, they began to ask me, what do I say when I pray? I've never prayed before. I'd never heard anybody say that. You know, some people uh, pray. Maybe they don't think they're very eloquent in their prayer, but they pray. But these people said, uh, I've never prayed before. How do I begin? Are there special words or actions that one must use in order for God to hear and respond? Must I say it in a certain way? You know, if we say, I pray this in Jesus' name, will that ensure an answer? Should I kneel? Should I stand? Should I sit? How do I pray? When I was growing up, I was told to memorize three prayers. The first was the Our Father, as it was called, or the Lord's Prayer. Secondly, the Hail Mary. And thirdly, a prayer called an Act of Contrition. And when we went to confession, we were given... Uh, some things to do. And I recall being told I should uh, say ten Our Fathers and ten Hail Marys and an act of contrition. And I would be fine. I was given this formula for praying and told that that was all I needed for my prayer life. Now, in some denominations, there are prayer books. And they have beautiful words. Uh, wonderfully put together. I, I, I love to read some of those. They're really quite nice. But is that what a person is to say when they pray? Or is there more to prayer than that? And I'd like to suggest a little more of the essence of prayer as we consider the question, what do we say when we pray? First of all, effective prayer relates to what or who I am. And I want to say a little more about that. Prayer will reflect my, your relationship with God. Then I'd like to give you a few suggestions on 
what you might say when you pray. Effective prayer relates to what or who I am. Abraham Lincoln reportedly said on one occasion, your words speak so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. And people who say one thing and then do another are usually called hypocrites. I I was reading a book on prayer some time ago and I came across a rather startling statement. The author was a seminary professor uh, at uh, Trinity College in Deerfield, Illinois. He said this, God does not respond to our prayers. And he meant by that the verbal prayer. He said, God responds to us, to our whole life. What we say to him cannot be separated from what we think, feel, and do. And I want to repeat that. God does not respond to our prayers. God responds to us, to our whole life. Now, does the Bible really teach that? Well, in the passage that we read earlier in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning at verse 5, I do not doubt that the Pharisees that prayed on the street corners and prayed out loud, I don't doubt that they prayed beautiful prayers. They probably said good words. They might have quoted the Scriptures. However, Jesus, looking at their life, looking at their practices of prayer, called these people hypocrites and told his disciples, don't be like them. God does not just hear our prayers. He hears our whole life. He doesn't respond to what we say. He responds to what we are. Remember the story of the Pharisee and the publican who went up to the temple to pray? The Pharisee prayed words like these. I'm glad I'm not like other men. Robbers and evildoers, adulterers and so on. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with being not being an adulterer? Is there anything wrong with not being a robber or an evildoer? There's nothing wrong with that. Actually, I hope that's true of all of us, that we're not any of these things. Perhaps you've heard people say, well, you know, I'm a good person. I don't steal. I don't kill. I don't have too many bad habits. Well, to what is God responding to there? God is responding to what the Pharisee was. He was an arrogant, self-righteous, limelight-grabbing hypocrite. And God did not answer to what the Pharisee was. Now, the publican, on the other hand, couldn't tell the Lord how great he was. And if he was a typical publican, he was a cheat. He was an extortioner. He played footsie with the Romans. The publican pleaded mercy because he was a sinner. 
Now, if God didn't respond to the Pharisee because he didn't do bad things, was he now going to respond to the publican because he did bad things? No. God responded to the Pharisee because of who he was. He responded to the publican because of who he was. And the publican was a truly repentant person who acknowledged he was a sinner and in need of the mercy of God. Responded to what he was. There is a passage that speaks to husbands as an example that prayer is both word and life together. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Uh, Just listen carefully. Husbands... Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. He's telling husbands, watch the way you live. Watch the way you treat your wife. Why? so that your prayers not be hindered. He's responding to what we are. And one last illustration for the sake of time, and, and you got to turn to this. This is great. Psalm 109. Psalm 109, verse 4. In return for my love, they act as my accusers. But here's the, here's the part I want. But I am, the original says, a prayer. But I am a prayer. Now, the old commentators always applied this to Jesus. In whose life this was literally true. His life was a prayer. He lived prayer. And I need to say, may our lives this week reflect prayers of compassion as we respond to people in need. And may our lives, may my life this week reflect prayers of honesty as I'm tempted to exaggerate. May my life reflect prayers of loving as I act kindly towards others. What do we say when we pray? Say it with your life. Say it with your life. The last thing I just want to say in just a few words. I know our time is just about gone. Warren Myers, um, I think was a couple of years ahead of me at Cal Berkeley, became a, uh, a staff member with the Navigators, wrote a book entitled How to Be Effective in Prayer. And in that book, he teaches about defensive praying. He says that two of the seven requests in the Lord's Prayer teach us to pray against sin and against the devil. Lead us not into temptation. And then deliver us from the evil or deliver us from the evil one. 
And he says, thus, two of the seven requests are defensive praying. He then gives us several illustrations of defensive praying. Billy Graham prays against three things. Wrong involvement with women, love of money, and pride. Lord, deliver me from those. Dawson Trotman, founder of the Navigators, prayed against the same three things, but he included a number four, a critical spirit and tongue. Lord, deliver us from that. Warren Myers then gives us his list of defensive prayers. And here are his list. He prays against lust against covetousness or possession-centeredness, against pride, against a critical spirit and tongue, against wrong doctrine, and against spiritual coldness. And we say, Lord, deliver us from these. Warren Meyer's wife, Ruth, adds to her husband's list for herself She prays her husband's list, but she adds anxiety, self-reliance, and fear of disapproval. Lord, deliver us from these. And I can identify with all of these, and I add one more of my own. And maybe you're getting the idea that we always add, it seems, our own weakness. So I pray against the spirit of retaliation. Spirit of revenge. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And as I mentioned last time we were together two weeks ago, one of the prayers I think that is so very effective and so very welcome in the presence of God is similar to the prayer that the publican prayed. Lord, forgive me, and I'm paraphrasing, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. If Jesus has not come into your life as Lord and Savior, I'd like to suggest that you pray that prayer this morning. Lord, forgive me, a sinner. That requires some repentance it requires an acknowledgement of guilt. It requires an acknowledgement of the ability of God to actually take you and change you. And so uh, we pray that prayer. Father, forgive me, a sinner. Let's just bow our heads and, and uh, reflect on prayer. Some of you may reflect on the prayer, Father, forgive me, a sinner. Others may reflect upon defensive praying. Praying concerning uh, uh, your individual need, whether it be pride or whether it be lust or covetousness or whatever it might be. Uh, uh, Ask God to help you. Some may want to focus on their lives. 
prayer is reflects who we are. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning and thank you for your presence. We pray that you would help each of us to pray, to pray. Not giving lip service or, or standing, as it were, before groups of people and trying to uh, influence them by how well we pray. But Father, rather, we, we want to come into your presence and we want uh, your heart to touch our heart. And so we pray this morning for each person here. Bless this fellowship of your people. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.